golf brings people together, right? Um, anybody can be a golfer, but that's just one facet of them. They can also be a, a businessman or a basketball player or a snowboarder or a, they like chess. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm a nerd. Calm down. Welcome to episode one of the Wedgies podcast. This is a podcast presented by Wedge Golf Company, which is the marketing kind of creative agency that we are all a part of. Um, and this is a podcast where we're kind of setting out to talk a little bit about what we do and what we do in the world of golf, but also to talk about the world of golf in general. Um, so today I am, my name is Dan Carlson, and I'm joined by uh, two of the co-founders here of Wedge Golf Company, and I'll give them a chance to introduce themselves. I'm Caden Giles. I'm Tanner Giles. Same last name, we're brothers. Awesome. And yeah. I am the third adopted brother. I like to I like to try and call myself. But yeah, uh, the goal here is to just talk a little bit about the golf industry and some of the stuff that we're seeing and maybe tell some of our crazy stories along the way. So we're going to turn it over to producer Isaac. How's it going, Isaac? Never better. Excited to be here. I'm excited that you're kind of the voice off camera. You're just kind of this floating voice to help us out. No one will ever know. Yeah, also, <laughs> also known as Joseph Uzbak. <laughs> Okay. So <laughs> it doesn't say anything. About well, it's just it's an inside joke. Yeah. No one's gonna get it. Okay. We can tell that story okay, maybe later in the pod. But. Um. Cool. So let's talk about some news. So Tiger Woods just came back uh, to play at the Hero Championship. Last time he played was at the Masters in April. Um. Kind of give me your guys' thoughts on that and uh, how you think that's gonna affect. How he plays from here on out, and maybe the sport in general. Tanner, what do you got? I think I'll tackle the sport in general first. I mean, like, who watches the? Who's been watching the Hero Open like before this, though? Okay, one out of the three of I us. I mean, I definitely would have as well. Yeah. Yeah, you got. No, I'm talking like. Like in years past. Yes. I mean, I mean, it's usually one of the best fields. It's hosted by Tiger. It's got an awesome field. Scotty Scheffler, you had. But okay. I, I okay. see what you're saying. It's see where not I'm trying like to go? the tournament of the year to watch. No, exactly. Right? Now. But, like, like, all of my friends, you know, nine to five in office jobs, you know, those type of, you know, stuff like that. Everybody was watching it on their phones or on their computers, and we were all texting and talking about it the entire time. Right. Like, that doesn't happen. I don't even have that with them. I mean, maybe the Masters is, right. like, the only other one. The Masters one. is that way with people that aren't even Exactly. Like and so the fans. fact, like, to, to answer your question, that the second question that you asked, like, I think having him just present, he doesn't even have to win. He doesn't even have to make cuts. People are going to tune in and watch it just because he hasn't been around for so long right. and because he is who he is. And so I think it's tremendous for the sport just to have him involved. And I think it's good for him, too. Like, the, the arc that he's been on and all of the things that he's gone through, like, props to him as well for getting himself back to a position where he can play competitive golf with other professionals. I mean, if you want to talk about getting himself into a position, some of those photos, yeah. I mean, he's probably put on quite a bit of weight and muscle alone. The body shape he had when he came in early on in the, in the league, you know, he, he's always been known for having great power but not necessarily from, like, brute muscle, brute strength. Right. And I think as he's gotten older and the body's kind of, you know, changed from, from some significant ways, I mean, he's put on some serious muscle yeah, mass. he looks different. I mean, and he looks built. Yeah. Your boy's always had the V. He's always been yeah. V'd out. He's always been a big, built dude. But one thing that I was listening to or, or saw during the, the broadcast is that 
I guess his ankle and leg were fused in, in right. his last surgery. Um, and so he can no longer rotate with his lower body like he was able to previously. So that's had to that's forced him to have to gain more speed in the hands and the arms in upper body rotation, um, which throughout the tournament, I mean, he he was um, he averaged 305 yards off the tee, so he's slightly above average for the field. Um, so he hasn't lost any distance necessarily compared to the field in terms right. of distance off the tee. And it was interesting to see his first tee shot he hit of the weekend on that first hole. He was the longest of the day, if I'm not 326 mistaken. 326. His very first tee shot was 326. And, I mean, that, that kind of distance, you know, with all that his body's been through is, is incredible. And, I mean, I think to take it back to kind of obviously what that means to the sport is just that having Tiger Woods in the game of golf is good for golf. Well, yeah. It's better for the sport. And not just, you know, obviously, like, if you look at the business side of it, we want the numbers, we want the traction, we want everything, you know, that helps our business, that helps everybody's business if golf is doing better. But it's also just who Tiger is as a character and as a person um, is good for the game. And well, it's something we need more he of. He is, like, golf to a lot of people. Right. Like, there's, there's to a lot of casual people, like, outside of Tiger Woods, they probably couldn't tell you another golfer, especially with, you know, Bill's reputation now and all the stuff that he's gone through he might have been the, the other guy but so you know having him in a field brings people that only know him to it you know what I mean which is a decent sized group of people globally I would say right and one of the things that I think I've appreciated about Tiger's comeback is we we don't necessarily view it in the same light as I think a lot of people view like maybe say Michael Jordan's comeback where a lot of people look at the Wizards years as right. maybe like a a stain on his career where I think as a culture, we've collectively said like, we're just here and we're happy. He's here. I think, yeah. And I think because of, you know, a lot of the physical things he's been through, he also, you know, obviously has things that aren't physical that he's been through in his career, but like literally the injuries and the car crashes and just the insane surgeries, just the fact that he's physically able to keep doing it. He doesn't have to win for you to be in awe of what he's doing. No, not at all. Yeah. No, I mean, the thing that I noticed, though, is obviously he's had some crazy physical, you know, obstacles to overcome. Uh, I think at one point they said he would have to relearn how to walk or something on that Jeez. leg. Like, like it was a it was a huge, uh, you know, accomplishment for him to even swing a golf club again. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like what this means for the rest of his career, at least the season moving forward. Um, Going back to his driving, like the fact that he was above average on driving, I think to me shows that his potential in the rest of the season is only going to go up because in during the hero uh, challenge, he it said he was he hit just 58 greens in regulation, which was below average. Um, and his strokes lost uh, during the tournament were in all other areas besides driving. So yeah. I think at least for me, when my driver's on, the rest of my game starts to fall into place and I play way better. Um, and so for a guy like Tiger, I think if he's hitting fairways, the rest of his game will catch up and I think he'll start to, to find that. Well, touch I know again. We've, we've talked a lot so far about the power and the power being a large characteristic of his game, but I think if you really want to know like what set Tiger apart during the early 2000s, it was iron play. 
and his, his ball striking with the iron, and so it's getting that touch and feel back to where it was, which yeah. only comes with playing. It's just pra- yeah, it's just practice and playing. And obviously, he can go and you can hit as many balls in the range as you want, but tournament play is always going to be different. And so mm-hmm. I think the other thing is I think we need to have uh, realistic expectations for Tiger. Sure, but I mean, which is hard him, with all he's done, which is with all he's a, given us. Right to see him have a sub sub even weekend. Yeah, but I um, coming back on that first tournament's totally. Awesome. I know that he throughout the tournament was saying he felt great and and everything, but I felt like most of the time that I was watching the tournament, he was like grimacing the whole time. Yeah, like his face seemed to be in pain most of the time, and so it might just be like getting back into the swing of it. I know he hasn't walked, you know, uh, a four day tournament in a long time, um, and he says moving forward his his pace will probably be about a tournament a month. Mm-hmm. Um, which gives him a huge advantage because he'll be able to rest, recover, and then prepare. You're right. Um, but I don't know. I just I don't know if he, at least right now, is going to be able to compete if he's still in pain or getting tired after 100%. You know, day two. And I, I know I probably speak for all three of us when I say this, but I don't think we care. I think yeah, we're no. just happy to have him. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I think we're happy to have him out there and happy to do that. So I think we'll be following for the next little bit, see what – he does. Obviously, he's he's committed to saying he's going to do at least five next year, but the goal is one a month if he can do it. Yeah. And we'll see see what happens. Bruce Isaac, what's next? So I want to talk about the golf rollback. So the USGA and RNA, uh, they're talking about or they're going to um, put these new rules into effect that essentially make the golf balls go less of a distance than they do right now just because – People are hitting it really far, and they're essentially just hitting it too far. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, this is probably one of the more controversial topics mm-hmm. we've had in golf in a long time. I mean, besides the live, besides the live golf situation, <laughs> I think this is what's, what's going live? to shake up golf in a real way because this one, I mean, the live golf situation affected professional golf and, right, and the right. golf fan. This rollback, as currently proposed, as Isaac kind of let us know, you know, it's the courses weren't built for how a lot of guys are hitting these days. Right. That's what kind of led to the rollback. But I think what's been interesting and what's caused a lot of the um, kind of the pushback has been that it's not just affecting the pros. It's it's the sport as a whole, and it's going to affect the, the average golfer. And I think that's where you're getting a lot of the polarization, where some guys may be in favor of it for – Nobody. Some might be in favor for the pros alone, or and maybe not want it for themselves. I don't know what are you guys' thoughts. Here's my take on it. Well, I have a lot of thoughts on it, but like we said, it's going to affect pros all the way down to just your average Joe playing on the weekends, right? So it's not like it's going to affect just the elite players in the world. Like it's it's everybody's on the same playing field. And it's not the first time that major changes like this have happened. Like, there's been multiple changes throughout the whole history of the PGA, USGA regulations and things like that. Um, but speaking for myself, like, I, I drive the ball pretty far. Like, I'm a, I'm a pretty decent golfer. Um, and I know for me, like, my biggest nightmare is hitting long irons on the golf course. Like, I hate hitting a five iron. I hate hitting a four iron. Um, and that's because most of the time I have driver wedge or driver nine iron into, into greens. And so I'm 
not necessarily excited for it, but I think it will actually make me an all-around better player because I will start to use clubs and hit shots that I'm not used to hitting, and I'm kind of excited to get better at those parts of my game. So would you say you're in favor then? I, I mean, like I said, it doesn't put any one person at a disadvantage. Like... I honestly think it would, considering because you, you you hit the ball further, which means your rollback is going to be a lot further than a lot of other rollbacks. For example, um, I pulled up here. This is a this is a stat from our friend Lou Stagner, who is a friend of the company, big fr- big fan of Lou and what he does with his stats. The golf ball that Titleist was pushing in 1995 would not be approved according to these current standards. So a 30 year old golf ball would have gone too far. And that's how far back they're going to push a lot of these guys. Whereas the average golfer is hitting it, um, you know, 280 around there or some kind of those statistics where it's like, I think if you're pushing a lot of those guys who are hitting it 280 down to 250, 240, you may be taking them out of the sport. I, I don't know. I, I, I get why people are upset by it, but I honestly think it's more of an ego thing than anything. Because, again, like, we all go play right now. We're going to hit the, the distances we hit but you take that back 10, 20 yards, like it doesn't m- make either one of us worse off than we would have been before, in my opinion. Huh, that's interesting. I don't yeah. like it at all, personally. I'm with you. I am adamantly against I this. think it's, I mean, there's always evolution in sport. There's always advancement in gear right whether it's golf basketball baseball whatever it is right like that's just progression like the longer that we play it and the more r&d and money and stuff that goes into it over a period of time the better equip the better stuff you're going to get if if the the goal is always the same right hit a home run make a basket put it in the hole right like this stuff is going to advance to make it easier to do and more effective to do just naturally right and so i think like in basketball, you don't. Sh- people are hitting more threes than ever, right? Like, points are through the roof historically in the NBA. The, the amount of points that they score in a game, players are breaking records all the time individually. And three point, I mean, the three point line did a lot for that historically, right? Adding an extra point. But then also the league and players have caught up to that because of the amount of time, right? They've gotten better since that change was made. You don't shrink the size of the hoop because they're making more three-pointers yeah exactly that's my that's my opinion i i think where my biggest my biggest frustration is is it's in i i think it's in the justification for the it's fixing a problem that i don't think is a problem no and like if, if guys are putting up higher scores that's exciting too Right, the game's advancing. Obviously, a lot, a lot of that is technology. But what are we going to do? We, we're making these invan- advancements, and now we're saying that it's too much. Let's walk it back. Right. It's it's golf has never been po- more popular. No, it's never been in a better place. It's never had a better field, a better competitive field, and a lot of that is due to the technological advances, advances that have been happening. Well, and and if we remove all of that, and we take, and we're kind of saying, hey, we don't want these technological advances because of the courses don't want to adapt and the courses can't grow to it or because we're seeing a trend that's making people nervous, I think what that does is that causes a a hurt on the professional game, but then to then put that onto the amateur golfer is, is what's, what's really nerving. Um, you know, there's, there's a point here again from another, another thing from Lou Stagner. If you want to get stats on golf, go to this guy, 
but he, he mentions a study here that the USGA did a few years ago where they gave people shorter golf balls. Mm. And um, 65% of the people, who, or actually says here, 68% of the people said that it hurt their round and they played worse because they were playing a, a shorter golf ball. And it's just, if guys are already, you know, we all get frustrated on the course already and it's, it's going to become harder from that perspective. I think it's, yeah. it's going to be hard to get a lot of fanfare for this. Yeah, for this there's, there's one more thing that I don't like about it and it's like these balls that we're playing now are still going to be out there. It's not like they just disappear when the new shorter ones come out. And so people are going to be wanting to buy these ones up, hold on to these ones, still play with these ones because the alternative in a new one is worse. And so on the pro level, they'll, they'll or you know, any t- tournament play up to the pro level, they're going to uh, regulate that. So that's not going to be a problem. But out on the course and going to play with your buddies and stuff, like people aren't going to check what you're playing with. And right. so why wouldn't you want to use one that gives you an event that goes farther? Yeah, and I, I agree with that. And I'm not saying that I'm in favor of it. I was just giving kind of the, my perspective as an amateur golfer. And, like, we don't have the power to change what's going to happen. No. But in adapting to it, like, what are the advantages that we could see from it? I think a lot of guys are going to have to get a lot better with a five iron. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like, that's, yeah. which, that's my whole point. Which, I mean, we can sit here and say as easy as that sounds. I've been struggling with that club for 15 years. And that's what makes me. That's well, what makes me kind of. Good luck like, using your four now. Exactly, and there's going to be a lot of more. You know, what used to be a five iron is now a hybrid. And yeah. What's interesting is there's actually a lot of buzz going on right now that most every course with this new golf ball rollback is going to have to be re-rated. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because it's now a different course. Yeah. Totally. Which I know is the intent, but the problem is, you're again you're fixing a problem for for a small group of pros. That's going to affect a much larger group of amateurs. Well, yeah. And I mean. Not only that, it's going to affect the golf industry as a whole very, mm-hmm. very heavily. You know, if we look at, you know, like, for example, I, I can't even imagine what things are like behind the scenes at a Titleist or a Bridgestone right now. You know, these big ball manufacturers who are not only having to adapt to this, but also what do you do with previous inventory? Are guys going to go buy up all these Pro V1s? Are they going to want to play the old ball? Because yeah. what does that do? I don't think they're going to have a problem moving old inventory. <laughs> You know, and it's it's going to be interesting because now you're going to have the question of, yeah, if you do play an old ball that could go further, like you, you and your buddy's going to have to check what year your Pro Vs were or what rollback ball. Or, right. It's, it's just going to be interesting what it does to the game as a whole and how it changes things. Yeah, and I just wanted to give, like, context to the data behind it because um, I was looking into it a little bit. Do you guys know what your swing speed is with a driver? Yeah. What's what's your guys' average swing speed? Uh, when we got tested the other day, I was around one thirty. Okay, mm-hmm. you know what yours is? Yeah, if if I try to swing out of my shoes at Top Golf, I can get it to like one fifty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, so yeah, like one one. Well, this is just saying that the proposal is that golf balls struck at a robot-controlled swing speed of one hundred twenty-five, um, which is up from one hundred twenty miles per hour previously, cannot exceed three hundred seventeen yards in distance. So basically, if you have 125 mile an hour swing speed, the max distance you should be able to get out of these new conforming balls is 317 yards. Hmm. And again, that's the question is then, is that 317 at sea? At sea level? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Or is that, know that. Or is that mountain golf? Because that's again, that 317 looks a lot different around the world. Yeah. But, and yeah. the, other, the other kind of thing to note there is, if that's your swing speed, I would say a 125 swing speed is higher for a lot of people. 
You know, there's yeah, a lot of guys yeah. who are going to be below that, especially older guys playing the game and things of that of that nature. Younger kids getting into right. it. Obviously, swing speeds in general are, are trending higher. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, I think data wise, it's I think it's going to be one of those things where on paper, I know I'm frustrated with it. Mm-hmm. We'll just have to kind of see what it does and how it changes things. Yeah. Do you guys think? Let's say in the future, they decide they want to change it back to. What the golf now. balls are now? Do you think that's going to make players better in the future by bringing the distance down on these golf balls that are going to come into effect? So are you saying that the new crop of players, if you will, that are playing with these balls, getting used right. to these new balls, if you switch it back in the future and they've grown yeah. up, or do you think that they're going to give even further distance than we're seeing right now? I would think so. I mean, I think of it as like if this new generation of golfers it's like the equivalent of hitting a three wood off the tee and then 10 years from now they're like okay now you can hit a driver off the tee yeah <coughs> and Which i would i think would give you a huge advantage i would think too especially with these speed with, with the distances coming down with these performance of these balls it's only going to incentivize higher swing speeds to try to get as much out of the equipment yeah. the ball as swing you can speed training doing what you can to maximize what you're given right yeah. So, yeah, I think they would only go farther if they yeah. were to do and it that's that where way. You're, yeah, you're going to see a lot more emphasis on swing speed and stats, I think, yeah. than you have previously. Um, just because I think a golf ball for a lot of players is something they've never thought about. And yep. now they're going to be thinking about it probably more than they should. Yeah. Um, and so we'll just kind of have to see how they, how they play it, how that affects what they do, and, and what kind of comes from that, from that regard. But I don't know, man. I, again, I think it's just it's a problem that – is going to affect the amateur golfer and the new golfer yeah. a lot harder than it's going to affect the pro. Pros. The pro, totally. especially if that amateur golfer is now told he's got to raise his swing speed. I think it just it's just going to come down to where you gain strokes on the course. That's that's where it's going to change a lot. Okay, so um, kind of what we wanted to do with today's podcast, and kind of what we hoped the goal would be was essentially to give the background and the story as to who we are. Mm-hmm. Thought it was fitting for episode one. Yeah, for episode one, just to kind of what is Wedge Golf Company, who well, are the wedgies and everything, and kind of yeah. giving the story as to how we got to where we got. And, you know, we've we've talked to a lot of different people in the industry, worked with a lot of different things, and we always get the same question, which yeah. is what actually How is did you guys, What this? what is this, well, and how did you do it? I've had friends that have known about Wedge or know what I do for the last two and a half years that don't actually know what Wedge 100%. does. Yeah. And so that's kind of the hope with today is we're just going to kind of run through a little bit of the story of our background, how we got to where we are, and then jumping from there to maybe kind of some reflection on some of the fun projects we've worked on or some of that kind of stuff. So um, I don't know, Tanner, do you want to kind of start with yeah. the, the origin of all this? Yeah, I, I, I like it. We, we get asked all the time. I mean, we are all in our 20s. Uh, we've been doing this for a little over two and a half years currently, right? Um, how did it all happen? What, where did the idea come from and, and how did you do it, right? right. So um, it was really came out of necessity kind of. It's not like we had this idea forever and this was something that we thought would be great. It kind of came from a couple different things and COVID was a huge catalyst for this right. um, in a couple of ways. And so where it all kind of started, um, the three of us all went through the advertising program at BYU. That's what our background is in. Um, Dane and I were the same year we met there in school, and Caden and I are brothers, and Caden was just, I think, a year behind us, weren't you? Yeah. Just a year behind us. Um, 
So when Dane and I, I mean, we all graduated during COVID, but we graduated a year before. Um, right, Dane and I were right in the thick of it, like when it was new and fresh and the world was shutting down is when we were graduating. I think it shut down midway through our senior year, about? Yeah, yeah. So, and it was so sudden, remember? Like yeah. we were in classes and then at like 4 p.m. on like the Tuesday, they were like, Everybody go they home. They sent out the a email. Mass, it was mass emails. Yeah. It was like, everyone go and home. And the teacher was like. can't tell you when you're coming back. The teacher was like, okay, guys, I guess we have to go. It like, wild. it was weird. It was crazy. And so, yeah. so we left. Um, anyway, uh, what ended up happening was it, our senior capstone project in that program, typically our program works with a big ad agency on a real project that they're doing and we come in and assist. Or a big like company. That. Really cool company. Yes. I mean, they've had yeah. Nike in there. They've had Adidas in there. They've had really uh, big Amazing brands. program Amen. that has amazing connections that bring stuff to us. That's typically what happens. Well, during COVID, I mean, these places were trying not to fire their own employees, so they had no room for students to come in right. and help on stuff, right? So our professors reached out to all their contacts and everything. They said, guys, we have nothing for you. Um, so our professor said, I don't know what to do. This has never happened before. Go make a passion project using the skills that you've learned from the class. I mean, people were doing all kinds of things, right? Designing things, filming things, creating things, all kinds of stuff. So Dane and I were, were in that same capstone class and we uh, landed on shooting a golf-based documentary using right. those filmmaking skills, storytelling, some of that kind of stuff. And, and I can kind of talk to that because that's kind of the idea for it was it was based off of a course that I played yeah. as a child, a course right. that I loved a lot down in Manti, Utah. It's called Palisade Golf Course. has one of the best signature holes, I believe, in the state. Really, really pretty. Yeah. The fourth hole's gorgeous down there. Um, and that was kind of what the original idea was, was just to talk about this kind of small town Tell course. the story of the course because it's unique in where it is. There's n nothing really around yeah. it. And the town that's next to it has like 80 people it's in it. It's part of a national uh, state park. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's a really small it's town. It's out of the way. Um, and to have that great of an asset in that small of a town is, was really cool. Right. But um, what ended up actually happening with the story was um, my in-laws lived down there, and they kind of helped us introduce us to some people who mm -hmm. knew stories about on the course. And we met, met a girl named Jamie Stevenson who uh, has an awesome story where she played the course as a kid and um, would ride her bike to the course every day, and then she would you know basically use that as a way to – uh, practice and play every day to where she was able to play collegiate and professional golf. Yeah, um, from a town really of eighty cool. people in central Utah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Snows half the year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for her to be able to get to the level that she did, super cool. So it really, really yeah, rare it, with the resources that she had at her. Quickly, disposal. well, not quickly. It morphed into let's tell the story of the course into <clears throat> let's tell the story of her and the course let's and how they helped the each other through Jane. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so that's what we shot. That's what we ended up making. We produced it. We, that was our capstone project. Um, part of that was the Course Pro was very generous in letting us basically take over the course for a day. Shout out Jordan Van Orman. Yes. Shoot everything that we wanted. Um, very accommodating. Uh, part of that was we told him as a thank you for letting us come out and run the course for a day, basically and do whatever we want. Uh, we will give you all of the footage and photography. Anything that we shot, we'll give to you. Use it on social, use it wherever you want. It's yours. He said, great, thank you. We finished it. When it came time to give him those assets, he said, I'll be honest with you guys, I have no idea what to do with this. I'm not a marketer. I run a golf course. Which is an interesting thing with, with golf professionals. You know, these guys go and learn a very specific set of skills yeah. that essentially, for a lot of these courses, especially state-owned courses, um, 
they're asked to do a lot more than that. You know, Jordan's in an interesting situation where he told yeah. us that he, you know, not just marketing, you know, forget about marketing, he had to, by hand, redo the bathrooms in his own pro shop. Yeah. Just because the resources and what was available. And so, you know, when we said, hey, here's a bunch of marketing assets, go run ads. He was like, I don't know what to do. That's not necessarily in his wheelhouse at this point. I mean, he's, he's at the course probably, I mean, 6 a.m. to... Well, 6 p.m. probably some days and like right. the last thing you want to do after physical manual labor all day is create an Instagram post or something like that so like totally understandable right anyway he told us that and that's kind of where I think you got the insight from uh, originally was like well we know what to we know what we could do with this yeah it was kind of as we talked to him we we saw that need and I think we were kind of initially talking to him like oh maybe we could make some stuff for you and I think We'd all kind of joked about it initially as like a, not joked, but talked about maybe it's like a freelance gig we could do. Just something we could well, yeah, we, do. Well, yeah, we'd never thought about it before, right? And then we saw the opportunity and we're like, well, maybe. I think even at that point, though, we still didn't think it was a business. No, 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 not at that point. And I think what kind of happened was, and this is where I get into kind of the, you know, mushy gushy side of it all, but I, I was on a trip with my family not too long after that where I read Shoe Dog mm-hmm. by, by Phil Knight, the, the Nike story, and. Great story, great book, where he talks early on in his story about how he went because, you know, how you're kind of taught, like, you got to go get a big boy job. And getting a big boy job for him meant accounting. Mm-hmm. Go get an accounting job. And he went to school for it. And it was basically as a runner, growing up as a runner, he, you know, ran collegiately at Oregon. Um, he missed having running be his every day. And that was what he was able to think about all day and to, to focus on was running. And at that time, because of COVID, you know, the job I had picked up was Medicare advertising. Right. Not what you had maybe set out to do when you started no. your I mean, my every day was thinking, how do I? That's not what you wrote on your things I want to be. In <laughs> no, when school. I was a little kid, I didn't write down. I want to focus every day on how I can sell Medicare plans to, to seniors. It was, you know, and... Yeah. It just wasn't what I had hoped to set out to do. And, and you know, that's nothing to the place I worked. It's right, a great right. place to work, but it just wasn't creatively what I was looking for. And so I guess when I read kind of that part of the book, it made me question, like, what do I wish my everyday was? Right. Let me preface this real quick by saying, too, like with the COVID stuff, um, we, I mean, our, our advertising program is top notch. Right. Uh, they place very highly. Um, in, in some big agencies, right? And so when we were going through school, the, the expectation or the, the ceiling, I guess, that they kind of throw in your mind is like, you can work on these, in, in these big you agencies the world. with these crazy companies yeah. and have the chance to create some really, really cool stuff. When we graduated, those opportunities were not there. Right. And that's no fault of our school, obviously. No, no, no. They so just even, were not even shut they were later, there. When I was graduating, right. it still wasn't. Right. They're, they're, they're barely, barely getting there now. Yeah. Do you remember when part of our program, we had to have internships, right? Yeah. Um, I had an internship solidified with a, with a big ad agency. I was going to move out there for the summer, all this stuff. I was so stoked on it. Uh, I had to, they had accepted me. Told, we had a, a call, and they were like, yeah, you're in. We'll send you some info of where you can live, all this stuff, right? Two days after that, is when everything shut down and two days after that so four days total after i got accepted for that internship they called me and canceled and said we're we're shutting the internship program down so sorry that was just an internship yep so by the time we graduated a couple months later we were a little deeper into the whole code like they just weren't hiring yeah so 
we were lucky enough to land something, right? But it, it, it was we did not have the opportunities that we creatively had set out to. Right. To and so I think what kind of happened next was we we took that insight from from Jordan from right. Pro, and we kind of said, hey, um, you know, we called the original team, which was was at the time uh, me, Tanner, and then another partner named Reese. Right. Um, we kind of called that group back up and said, hey, what if we tried to make something out of this? Mm-hmm. And the initial idea was golf courses right because that's was, where the insight came that's from, what the right? insight came we from. can do all this stuff to help golf courses was, because that's what we did at palisade for sure yeah and so it was let's go out and let's let's find out how we can work with these golf courses and we started kind of tapping every connection that we had i remember i have i have notes on my laptop of like <laughs> working on the scorecard type stuff and getting ads and scorecards like a very different business model than to obviously where we landed but yeah we kind of started reaching out, and the first one of the first clients that we reached out to was um, actually a friend of mine right. uh, from high school whose dad owns a course up in Montana, the Wilderness Club, which is a gorgeous, gorgeous course, mm-hmm. really, really pretty. And we basically said, hey, we have this idea for a campaign we can do for you, and we offered to do it for free. Right, because we, no, we had no portfolio, no portfolio. As, a, as a company. We were just like, hey, we want to get our name out there. Yeah. Let's do this for free, and I... I we just kind of set out to do this this little project for him, and he said, "Great." And one of the first things he needed was was paid ads. Yeah, which at the time was a resource we didn't have. Between the three of us, we didn't have that skill set. Pa- and that's paid ad management, the savior of Caden Giles. Correct. And that's basically the whole trajectory of Wedge changed after that conversation. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, <clears throat> what happened was we, we strategized and concepted what we could do with the golf course, and, right. and they wanted to sell more passes to locals because it is a destination course, but maybe in a little bit of the off-season or when people aren't up there as much, how can we get the locals to, to come be involved and, and keep people on the course, right? Naturally, that turned into what can we do on social, paid campaigns. How do we do that? And as we were talking... The three of us are like, I don't, I don't really know how to do that. Meanwhile, I said, hey, my brother, who's just about to graduate in, in the program, is working at a digital marketing agency right. part-time as a, as a student doing this exact thing. Maybe he could be helped. So, Ken, I got a question for you then. So, as we, you know, obviously at this point, like, this was a fresh idea that we had had. Yeah. What was your thoughts when we reached out to you and kind of said, like, hey, do you want to get involved in had, this? Had I talk, I'd well, talked to you talked about to it? Well, talked to me about it a couple times, yeah. and I was always like, dude, like, you need me. Like, you guys need me. And he's like, well, it's not even, like, a full thing yet. Yeah. And I was, like, very aware of what you guys were shooting. Like, I almost came out and helped you guys with that Yeah, you almost came and helped with the documentary at the beginning. Um, but I was, like, in school and working myself. And so I was definitely aware of it and like wanting to get involved. And then this opportunity came and Tanner was kind of like, well, this could be like kind of a chance for us all to to work together on something. And uh, so I was stoked from the beginning, like two of my biggest passions are golf and then marketing and advertising, right? Brands. Um, And so that's kind of where my interest was. Um, And then, yeah, we put this, this project and strategy together and, Honestly, we we killed it. Like it I, I think we yeah. sold out the passes in like a couple days, um, and uh, yeah, and I mean, they they all, were happy with it, which yeah. was awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, and so, so it was it was interesting from there to kind of see how things evolved because again we yeah. had the success of this one campaign. We had a little bit of a at, portfolio there, but it was it, it at this question. at this same time that we were doing the the Wilderness Club stuff. Were we also reaching out to other brands? Yeah, so that's that's kind or of or was that after? I no, can't that, remember. That was at the same all time. the same time, right? So yeah, what kind of happened was obviously we're all working desk jobs. None of us, you know, we didn't right. get cold turkey to go into this, so. I was working my my desk job at at my previous the previous agency I was at, and essentially they have those little call booths, yeah, uh, where you can go in those small rooms you can take calls in, and I would basically set one of these up as my office every day, which it wasn't. I was way right. too low on the totem pole to have my own office, but I'd go in there, I'd sit down, and I'd get all the work I needed for them done as quickly as I could, mm -hmm. and then spend the rest of the time basically reaching out to potential companies. And well, we were reaching out to, I mean. Some of the some of the projects that we did early on for free were for like eighteen birdies, for example. Like we weren't just we were just kind of reaching out to people and saying like, "Hey, this is who we are. We'd we didn't love know to what do we this." Did yet, but we were just <laughs> well, we just wanted a portfolio, right? Yeah. And so we were lucky enough to actually have some bigger names say, "Yeah, sure, we'll." Well, do that it. was the strategy. It was the awesome. strategy was again, it was still reach out, offer free work, right. Send us the product if it's a product-based company or, for example, 18 Birdies. We just downloaded the app, and I think we actually just shot that without saying anything and then sent them the finished product. I think we did. We just did it and said, yeah. here, look what we did for you guys. And so we Use were doing a bunch want. of stuff like that and basically just doing everything we could to get our foot in the door to a different few different places. Yeah. And slowly worked our way from free projects to $500 projects yes. to $2,000 projects. And then slowly kind of moving it into a sustainable income that we could actually turn into where a few companies saw the free work we were doing and said, hey, we trust you enough to put you on retainer. Or they didn't know it was free work. Or and they, they saw the work we were doing. <laughs> yeah. They're like, we want, we'll pay you. Exactly. We want that. Yep. And right? then slowly grew that into to a few things. And I think the biggest story that I'd love to hear you guys tell is obviously the landing of the Bad Birdie account, yeah. which Chief, early on was, yeah. was a big deal. Yes, for, for, before we yeah. jump into that and talk about our friends there, I just want to draw it back to COVID really quick. I said COVID was kind of a catalyst for what happened. The first part of, of that catalyst was we didn't get the jobs that we necessarily wanted, where we might have been more comfortable and not had the ambition or the, feel the need to break out and do this. Uh, the other side of that was at that same time, COVID blew golf up like right. nuts because everything was closed. It was one of the first things that you could do. So the game exploded. So at the same, the same thing that took those job opportunities away from us that we were maybe thinking in our heads we would have is the same thing that exploded this industry. Yeah, well, and the same thing that opened the door for us to do what we're doing now. Exactly. So it was originally when we weren't getting hired and all that stuff, it was it, – it hurt. Like yeah. it was very neg – we were all very negative, let's be honest, um, because we had these great ideas and then they just weren't there uh, for yeah. us to have – but it's the silver lining, I guess, at the same time is that same thing that forced that upon us and the world is the same thing that exploded this industry and gave us a ton of opportunity. Yeah. Um, and one of those opportunities was how we landed one of our first big clients. Bigger clients, yeah. Um, so, yeah, basically what happened is, so Tanner and I, I mean, all three of us have been golf fans our whole lives, um, but it was for Christmas one year uh, our parents got us tickets to the Waste Management uh, Phoenix Open, and I think it was it's like February of 2021. Yeah, yeah. Like February, Which March. Which was also the first 
pro tournament, pro tournament we'd ever gone to. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That you and I had ever attended. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were super excited. It was our whole family, and then also some extended family. Some extended family. So uncle with some cousins and things like that. So, anyways, we all go out to Phoenix. We stay in an Airbnb, and we had a ton of uh, wedge logoed product that we had gotten from another project that we did. Um, but it was it was hilarious because I think we were there for um, Thursday and Saturday. Yeah, two days. Um, and so we brought shirts to our whole entire extended family. Probably like twelve of us there total, and we're all repping wedge uh, shirts, and yeah. merch, and hats and things. And so, anyways, throughout the course of the tournament, everybody just kept saying, "What's wedge? What's wedge?" Well, um, the one guy said, "One guy was like, what's wedge?" We told him he's like, I- "I've been seeing these shirts everywhere,", everywhere. and, and <laughs> yeah. like there was maybe twelve. But we max. were all kind of split up in like groups right. of twos or threes. So I it probably it was... looked like our presence was huge. He's like, I've seen these all over the place. We're like, oh, okay. Um, but anyways, <laughs> cool. Tanner and I branched off. It was just the two of us. And we wanted to go to the first tee to watch. Tony. I think it was like Ricky and Tony. Um, tee off just on some of our one. favorite guys that we've been fans of our whole life. Yeah. Um, so we go up there. We're walking up. And it was pretty crowded. So we're making our way to the grandstands. And these two dudes are just kind of hanging uh, off to the side and as we walk by one of them goes hey those are six shirts like i really like those i like, oh, thanks man yeah didn't really think anything of it because we'd heard stuff like that all day um but he he pointed out our logo he's like your guys logo is really cool and uh anyways tanner and i go up to the booth and we start chatting we're like we should go give those guys some some stuff yeah, we had we, some extra merch on hand but we had given it all away well we said we were like we were <clears> trying <throat> to grow our following and stuff still at that time and so we're like you well, it was it was cool that he took the initiative to say so, that yeah. he told us he liked this stuff. That was flattering. That felt cool. Let's go talk to him. Tell him if he follows us on Instagram, mm-hmm. shoots us his address in a DM, we'll, we'll yep. send him a shirt. Yeah, so I, I walked back down there. I started talking to the guys and um, was like, hey, you, you know, you guys uh, liked our shirts. It was you guys, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I think your guys' logo is sick. It's like a really cool aesthetic. Anyways, start talking with them. And I said that to him, like, if you give us a follow, send us a DM, we'll send you guys some free stuff. And they're like, okay. Uh, and I can't remember how it came up, but I was just like, who are you guys? Well, he asked, uh, he asked you, like, so, like, oh, yeah, what, what, is, what is Wedge then? And you're like, oh, we're actually a marketing agency. Yeah. We do some clothing, too. Yeah, and, and it was funny because he's like, yeah, I'm, like, director of marketing, and he's yeah. head of sales for Bad you were Birdie. Like, you were and like, what do like, you guys do? And they were yeah. like, well, we're, we're Bad Birdie, basically. And <laughs> Bad Birdie basically owns Waste Management. Like, that was their first year of being, like, a huge kind of title sponsor and everybody there was they, wearing they dominated stuff. it like yeah. it was it was crazy um so anyways we're talking to the head of marketing and head of sales for them and uh strike up a conversation and then long story short a couple of days later we we started a conversation on instagram that led to having a couple of video calls with them uh and then all the pieces kind of fell into place that made us the ideal partner at that time partner for their content at that time and so for the next year year and a half we we were bad birdies marketing team just content team yeah Yeah. content team and it was was really fun to work with them and create a lot of fun stuff and i think think it's 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 interesting because situations like that the kind of happenstance the things legitimately falling into our laps and there's no other way to say it other than being lucky um yeah time right place but it was it was crazy too because as we were starting those conversations, I remember like our first one or two calls with them. They're like, yeah, well, we'll let you know when we need you. And then their main content guy chose to leave. And they were like, oh, well, this is perfect. We already have Wedge. And so they, they there was, there was a need. And we were still new at the time. So I, yeah. I, don't, I don't blame their 
hesitancy. Uh, we, none of us were full-time in the business. No, no. no. And, that's, and that's kind of where this is, I think, this was the turning point for, for Wedge, because <clears throat> yeah. this is what changed it from um, an idea to a business, I, in my mind. It's really when this, and again, yeah. it was, it was, we were still making money. Like, on paper, we were a business, but it was a, that was when I was able to tell my wife, like, yeah, hey, I think I'm going to quit my job. Yeah. Hey, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually invest more time into this. And it's, it's been relationships like that that, you know, that we've grown. And obviously, you know, we, we've got that relationship in about April of that year or around there. Yeah. I remember when I, when I quit mm-hmm. full-time. And then from there, with the full-time, was able to work on getting more and more clients right. to where I believe it was December and kind of January 1 of yeah. 23 that – it was like end of December, early January, sometime in there. That everybody else kind of hopped on. And, and I, I think obviously between that and now, there's about a billion different stories we can tell oh, yeah. of, of what it is. But um, that's kind of what was the, the impetus of, of us starting this and us kind of yeah. growing and, and deciding what Wedge is. Um, Obviously, we don't have time to tell every story and every right. Well, those are going to be more episodes. Yeah, between there, that's what the rest of these are for. But I know... Producer Isaac has a few thought starter questions to kind of at least lead us down a few stories. Is that am I right on that? I always have a question for you guys. Oh, great! Look at you guys. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, that was a big turning point in Wedge's business. Um, tell me what you guys are most excited about for the future of Wedge and kind of where you see it going right now. Um, Not saying too much. Yeah. <laughs> I here you go ahead. I don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying to reel the thoughts in. I think it's interest like one thing that's happened. Okay, one thing that's kind of happened as as we've been doing this is the the more people we've worked with, and we've been so blessed to work with great clients, great people, and and meet great people. Like everybody in the golf space. Like this is one thing I've learned from from doing this. The golf space is smaller than you think. It is hyper connected. And people are awesome. Yep. In in my Most experience, in, in our experience. Most people. Well, it's like anything, but <laughs> but I think there's definitely a higher number of of awesome people than there are yeah. uh, the the other ones. And so we've been very fortunate to work with a lot of great people and connect with a lot of great people. Um, we've had a couple of years of that under our belts now. Um, been in some rooms with people that we never probably ever thought we would in our entire lives, which has been really cool. And from that opportunity comes right and i mean i guess i would say golf is golf brings people together right um anybody can be a golfer but that's just one facet of them they can also be a a businessman or a basketball player or a snowboarder or a they like chess (laughs) you know i'm a nerd calm down it brings it brings it brings different people together and because of that, we've made some connections in some different places and, you know, um, been asked to be a part of or work on some projects that maybe, you know, extend a little bit beyond the golf space from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so looking, you know, going forward into the future, uh, there's some fun opportunities there that we're excited about that kind of get our creative juices extending beyond what we've done up to this point, right? Um, which gets me excited. Yeah, I mean, keep it short and sweet. I'm excited for the partnerships that we've got lined up for the next year, um, both with people and brands and businesses. 
Yeah. Um, just able to take what we're doing and expand it beyond just what, content. What so. we've done. Yeah, and that too. So that's totally. what I'm excited for. Cool. I, I personally, I'd say, you know, obviously I spend a lot of my time working with the creative end of things, and I think the creative projects is what I'm really excited about. There's, a, there's a, again, the partnerships and the things that we're working on and these relationships we're building are giving us the opportunity to work on some stuff that uh, I'm really excited about. I think it's going to be really fun. Um, and to, to take a little bit more ownership in these types of projects, um, you know, and to kind of try some new things that we maybe haven't tried before. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we've cut our teeth on the social aspect of things a lot with the agency up to this point. We do a lot of social work. We do a lot of social media short form, co short form content. Yeah. Um, but I'm excited to see kind of in 24 how we do a few more broadcast. We well, do a few more stories. storytelling. Yeah. And we do more documentary work. And there's a few more opportunities there beyond just uh, social media clips that I think could be, could be exciting. And so taking it that route and getting creative with it and, you know, we got a couple of boys behind here on the camera that I, I trust to, to help us with that. Okay, so clearly we have a lot of stories that we can tell. We've been to a lot of places. We've done a lot of things. Give me a couple teasers of things that we can expect in other podcasts. Um, man, one is how to hit a ball or how to – sorry. Uh, yeah. Uh, how to hit a ball – how to swing a club with a reverse grip. I would say I'm excited to get Kiva on here to talk about our experience with Keith Mitchell and a specific shot that we witnessed firsthand. One of the craziest it's golf shots nuts. I've ever had. Yeah. Um, how we turned golf into a contact sport. <laughs> and, uh, Good way to preface it. Yeah, and just take your hat off and and cause some scars and a helicopter. So we'll a helicopter ride during Coachella. There's a helicopter ride during Coachella. There so. is so much more. A lot so. of fun stories, and again, a lot of stuff that we're we're thankful for the brands that have helped us along the way. One hundred percent. Those places, and hope that we can kind of have this podcast as an opportunity to introduce you to some of those friends, um, bringing guests on, having guests talk with us about kind of the experiences we've had with them. Yep. Uh, whether they're from the world of Mizuno or World Long Drive or whatever it might be. And so yeah. there's a lot of fun stuff to do there. But, um, yeah, I would say just kind of follow along and, and kind of um, if you want to hear more from us, obviously you can follow us on the social channels. Yeah, just uh, subscribe. Most, wedgie, mostly wedgie Wednesdays, every Wednesday. Wednesdays when we'll be releasing we'll be with kind of you. the Wedgie podcast. Yeah. Um, and then we'll also be releasing these on YouTube. Um, and then got some exciting stuff to do as yeah. well as come see us on tour like and subscribe <laughs> last thing <laughs> sign ups for the long day challenge aka the best golf tournament on the planet yeah go live today 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 so, or when you're hearing this yesterday and let me just say this since we've been recording this we've had which has been less than an hour we've had just in this time two new teams sign up so that means we're almost we're over 10% full um, which means in, in less than 24 hours. We haven't even launched and we're already 10% full. So early signups were, were successful. Yeah. If you want to get your team in, get them in now. we got some really cool brands getting involved this yes. year. And as always, it's a great tournament. So, tournament. So, yeah, there's episode one, boys. Signing off. Yeah.